Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for your grace that you have begun a work in us individually as a body and you continue that work. We want to be working out our salvation with fear and trembling. And as we interact with some of your word this morning, we want to hear and do in Christ's name. Amen. Going to begin this morning's sermon with what I ended last Sunday. I forgot to get the mic, so you pick it up here. A quote by D.A. Carson in his exposition of Philippians. I would like to buy $3 worth of gospel, please. Not too much, just enough to make me happy, but not so much that I get addicted. I don't want so much gospel that I learn to really hate covetousness and lust. I certainly don't want so much that I start to love my enemies, cherish self-denial, and contemplate missionary service in some alien culture. I want ecstasy, not repentance. I want transcendence, not transformation. I would like to be cherished by some nice, forgiving, broad-minded people, but I myself don't want to love those different or those from different races, especially if they smell. I would like enough gospel to make my family secure and my children well-behaved, but not so much that I find my ambitions redirected or my giving too greatly enlarged. I would like about $3 worth of the gospel, please. And keep that in focus, because I'll be referring to that indirectly later. In the context of Mark continuing to unveil the identity, the character, the being of Jesus, as he writes his gospel to the Roman believers, he shares in the, the account of a woman who poured out an expensive perfume on Jesus' head in preparation for his burial, costly financially because it was a year's worth of wages. In the context of the costly perfume, the Passover and the Feast of Unleavened Bread are mentioned. Both were costly as you look at the historical context. So we'll spend a little time in Passover and Unleavened Bread. Some of what I share may have been mentioned in the past, some has not been mentioned in the past. And then later we will be having communion, which reflects on, again, Passover, or Passover lamb, Christ. And the obedience to Jesus Christ, to his Father, was costly. The Passover and the Feast on of unleavened bread are vital in understanding Mark 14 because in Mark 14 we find the Passover, Feast of Unleavened Bread, then Jesus anointed, and then they go into the Last Supper or they're celebrating the Passover. And some understanding of the Passover and unleavened bread helps us as we partake of communion today, helps us also understand Christ. And the need, not only to remember, but for Christ day by day in our lives. So the Passover is set in the time of Egypt's great pyramids. It involved a death sentence for Jewish infants, a baby floating in a river, Jewish slaves, a burning bush, Egyptian sorcerers, tents, cunts, Confrontations with Pharaoh, divine plagues, a pursuing army, the parting of a sea, 
the birth of a nation at the foot of a thundering wilderness mountain. This holiday forms a background for understanding the events in the upper room, the symbolism of the Lord's Supper, and the meaning of the Lord's death. So for more than 400 years, the Jewish people had been in Egypt. And let's turn to Exodus chapter 12. Exodus chapter 12. Jewish people have been in Egypt for some 400 years. We'll be referring to a number of passages in Exodus this morning, but Exodus 12 and verse 40. Now, the length of time the Israelite people lived in Egypt was 430 years. At the end of the 430 years, to the very day, all the Lord's divisions left Egypt because the Lord kept vigil that night to bring them out of Egypt. On this night, all the Israelites are to keep vigil to honor the Lord for generations to come. Now, let's go to Genesis chapter 15. They came out of Egypt, but there's a history in their coming out of Egypt. Genesis chapter 15 and verse 12. In Genesis 15 and verse 12, we find the Abrahamic covenant has been given and is being renewed in Genesis 15. At the setting, or as the sun was setting in Genesis 15, 12, Abraham fell, or Abram fell into a deep sleep, and a thick, dreadful darkness came over him. Then the Lord said to him, Know for certain that your descendants will be strangers in a country not their own. They will be enslaved and mistreated for a hundred years. But I will punish the nation they serve as slaves, and afterward they will come out with great possessions. You, however, will go to your fathers in peace and be buried at a good old age. In the fourth generation, your descendants will come back here, for the sin of the Amorites has not yet reached its full measure. Now, God is speaking to Abram, making a promise. But in the process of making a promise, he says, your people will spend 400 years in Egypt. Now, let's go to Genesis chapter 46. Genesis chapter 46. In Genesis 46, we find that Abraham, then Isaac came along. Isaac had Jacob and Esau. Jacob had sent his sons to Egypt to get some bread. And we find here that something is being mentioned again. Genesis 46, 3 and 4. I am the God, the God of your father, he said. Do not be afraid to get down to Egypt, for I will make you into a great nation I will go down to Egypt with you, and I will surely bring you back again. And Joseph's own hand will close your eyes again. We find that God is working. Now they're going to Egypt. Let's go to Genesis 50, 24 and 25. Genesis 50, 24 and 25. Then Joseph said to his brothers, I'm about to die. But God will surely come to your aid and take you up out of this land to the land he promised on oath to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And Joseph made the sons of Israel swear an oath and said, God will surely come to your aid, and then you must carry my bones up from this place. So we see God is working. A promise has been made. 
And then we find in Exodus 11 and 12, the actual actual leaving is taking place. They're leaving Egypt after some 400 years in slavery. God detailed the account of their deliverance through Moses. The tenth and final plague would befall the Egyptians and their false gods. At midnight, the Lord would pass through the land, killing all the firstborn of Egypt, of each family and all the cattle. With this final plague, God would free his people. And then in Exodus chapter 12, we find that God outlines what is to happen. We're not going to read the passage. We'll refer to some verses in a few moments of how Israel was to prepare so that they would not undergo the death of their firstborn. Pharaoh and the Egyptians would face the loss of their firstborn, but Israel didn't have to. They were to select a year-old male lamb in its prime. It was to be a perfect lamb without any flaw or defect. It would be taken from the flock on the 10th day, kept until the 14th day, so that there could be some, we'll say, getting to know the lamb. But an innocent lamb was to be sacrificed, blood put on the doorpost and the lintel, so that the death angel would pass over. On the evening of the 14th, the lambs were to be publicly killed by the whole assembly. Each lamb was to, or each individual was to apply the blood of the lamb on the doorpost as a visible sign of their faith in God. God said, kill the lamb, put it on your doorpost, and I will pass over you. In faith, they acted. At that moment, the innocent lamb became the substitute, making it possible for the Lord's judgment to pass over them. And so the Lord instituted the Passover as a night of solemn observance to the Lord for bringing the people out of Egypt. So Mark 14, which we discussed last week and we'll pick up on in two weeks, they're celebrating the Passover. It's reflecting back on what took place many, many years earlier. The Passover is a one-day feast that is celebrated annually, observed on the 14th day of the first month in the Jewish calendar. It's followed by a seven-day feast of unleavened bread. And again, it's in the context of commemorating Egypt coming out, or I'm sorry, Israel coming out of Egypt. In Exodus 12 and verse 6, take care of them until the 14th day of the month when all the people of the community of Israel must slaughter them at twilight. In relation to the Passover, the lamb was the core requirement. Look at Exodus chapter 12. Now begin reading with verse 1. Exodus 12 and verse 1. The Lord said to Moses and Aaron in Egypt, This month is to be for you the first month, the first month of your year. Tell the whole community of Israel that on the tenth day of this month, each man is to take a lamb for his family, one for each household. If any household is too small for a whole lamb, they must share one with their nearest neighbor. 
having taken into account the number of people there are. You are to determine the amount of lamb needed in accordance with what each person will eat. The animals you choose must be year-old males without defect. And you may take them from the flock of sheep or goats. Take care of them until the 14th day of the month, when all the people of the community of Israel must slaughter them at twilight. Then they are to take some of the blood of, and put it on the sides and tops of the door frames of the houses where they eat the lambs. That same night, they are to eat meat roasted over the fire, along with bitter herbs, <clears throat> bread made without yeast. Do not eat the meat raw or cooked in water, but roast it over the fire, heads, or head, legs, and inner parts. Do not leave any of it till morning. If some of it is left till morning, you must burn it. This is how you are to eat it. With your cloak tucked in your belt, your sandals on your feet, and your staff in your hand, eat it in haste. It is the Lord's Passover. If there was no lamb, there would be no Passover. No lamb, the death angel would visit the home. So the lamb was central to the Passover because the lamb indicated deliverance. God also required, as we just read, three symbolic foods to be eaten on Passover night. The lamb, matzah, or unleavened bread, and bitter herbs. The sacrifice was to be a young lamb depicting innocence. It was to be roasted with fire, portraying judgment that would befall it instead of the firstborn. Matzah, unleavened bread, was to be eaten symbolizing the purity of the sacrifice, since leaven with its soaring characteristics was often a symbol of sin. Bitter herbs were to be eaten as a reminder of the suffering of the lamb. Now, the importance of the Passover, there was only one Passover. That was on the night they came out of Egypt. Every Passover after that was an observance of what took night or took place when they came out of Egypt. So as Jesus and the twelve are celebrating the Passover, they're reflecting back on what took place. The Passover was celebrated in the Sinai wilderness one year after Israel left Egypt. It was celebrated when the Jewish people came into the land of Israel. It was celebrated in the, king, or the days of King Hezekiah and King Josiah. It was celebrated after the return from the Babylonian captivity. It was celebrated in the day of Jesus. The Passover foreshadowed the Messiah as the true Lamb of God. Jesus is our Passover lamb. We talked about Abraham, Jacob, Joseph, Exodus, and then Christ comes on the scene. He's the lamb of God, as John the Baptist said, behold the lamb of God. He's the one who paid the ultimate price so that 
redemption could be done, not a process of doing. As it relates to the Passover, we'll just mention the order briefly. There was the first cup. Two weeks from now, we might amplify this a little more. Then there was the washing of the hands. There was the green vegetables, or green vegetable. In the middle, matzah. The telling of the story, and that would be the telling of the story of the Exodus, which is done today by Jewish people. The second cup, the hands washed again. The dipping of the matzah. Then there was a dinner, a meal, then a blessing and the bread. And that's where what we celebrate a little later today would come in terms of Jesus with his disciples. And then there was a third cup, and it was in relation to the third cup that we would have communion today. And then there was a fourth cup. And scripture talks about a closing hymn. Again, all in the context of the Passover. As you study scripture, it seems like Jesus at the Last Supper would have had John to his right and probably Judas to his left. And remember that they probably did not sit as we do. They probably reclined, and this might be a poor illustration I would illustrate it in the floor, but you won't be able to see anyways. So here's my illustration. They would recline on their side, resting on their left elbow. With their right, they would eat. So if John is to the right of Jesus, that's why they motioned to John to ask him about who's going to betray. Jesus could turn around and just... No, Jesus, what's going on here? That's why when he gave the bread, he could have given it to Judas because Judas would have been over here and he could have just reached around and gave him bread. So maybe we can have a platform built in two weeks and we can say, here's what it really looked like. No, don't worry about that part. But keep in mind that there's a historical context. You know, leaning, you know, basically stretched out, but resting on your left side. And things would be served. It is in the same context that we have the Feast of Unleavened Bread. The Feast of the Unleavened Bread is a reminder of God's miraculous deliverance of Israel from the Egyptian bondage. When Israel fled from Egypt in the middle of the night, there was no time for the bread dough to rise. They were to leave Quickly, in Exodus 12 and 39, we find that God says, With the dough they brought from Egypt, they baked cakes of unleavened bread. The dough was without yeast because they had been driven out of Egypt. They did not have time to prepare food for themselves. The time of the feast is observed after the day of Pentecost. You had the day of Pentecost. And then we have the seven days of the Feast of Unleavened Bread. Again, it was observed early spring, March and April, beginning the 15th day of the month. Passover 14th. Feast of Unleavened Bread, the 15th. And remember, their day would begin in the evening. 
Because the unleavened Feast of Unleavened Bread begins the day after Pentecost, often the two holidays would be blurred together and called the eight days of Passover. And in the days of the temple, it was common to just say the eight days of the Feast of Unleavened Bread. The importance of the feast. Unlike other feasts which were instituted in Leviticus 23, the commandment instituting this feast was given prior to the exodus from Egypt. Passover and the Feast of Unleavened Bread were instituted first. The Feast of Unleavened Bread is one of three annual feasts that required people to travel. During three of the seven annual feasts, Unleavened Bread, the Feast of Weeks, and Tabernacles, all Jewish men were required to present themselves before the Lord at the temple, according to Exodus 23, 34, along with Deuteronomy 16. Stop and think about the feast that God instituted for Israel. One day a week, he said, you're to rest. And then there were other feasts for a purpose, for their well-being and their walk with God. The Feast of Unleavened Bread, specific sacrifices were to be offered in the temple each day of the feast, according to Numbers 28 and Leviticus 23. The first and seventh days of the feast were Sabbath with having some things prohibited on those days. Leaven was strictly forbidden. And again, leaven being strictly forbidden because be a symbol of sin. And that's one reason why, at this point in our history, we use unleavened matzah, you know, just to go along with what's tied in with the symbolism in Scripture. Sin is often pictured in Scripture as leaven. The ancient rabbis also believed that leaven represented the evil impulses of the heart. Since leaven pictures sin, only unleavened bread or matzah was to be used by the Jews in the temple. Offerings had to be pure, and anything leaven was deemed impure. As with the other feast of the Lord in Leviticus 23, the prophetic meaning of the Feast of Unleavened Bread is found in the work of the Messiah. Passover pictures a substitutionary death of Christ as the Passover lamb. The Feast of Unleavened Bread pictures the burial of the Messiah, and the first fruits pictures the resurrection of the Messiah. The Hebrew prophets spoke of the Messiah's amazing burial. Normally one who dies a criminal's death receives a criminal's burial, and Christ died a criminal's death. Jesus was executed as a criminal, but God did not allow his body to be cast outside the city, under the city dump. Christ was honored in his burial because he was pure, sinless, without leaven. He died Not for his own transgressions, he was innocent. But for ours, we are guilty. Therefore, God honored him in the rich man's tomb. 
So the Feast of Unleavened Bread tied in with Christ and who he is. So we have Abraham, Jacob, Joseph, the Exodus. We have Christ. And then today we have what we call the Lord's Supper. Jesus Christ, as the pure Son of God, became the ultimate Passover lamb who gave himself in sacrifice so that humans can be reconciled to God. As a sinless one, pictured the feast of unleavened bread, he desires for us to be more and more holy or free from sin in attitude, thought, word, and action. He desires for his followers in all ages to be willing to follow him in complete, total, costly obedience in response to his gracious sacrifice of himself. This desire to obey Christ is for 24-7 living as men, women, husbands, wives, fathers, mothers, children, teenagers, employers, employees, citizens, neighbors, students, shoppers, drivers, and leaders. God does not separate the sacred from the secular. All of life is seen as holy. What does this look like in daily living? Men and women who pursue pure minds, renew their minds, contend in Christ alone, live in dependency upon other believers. Husbands and wives who desire to picture Christ and his church in their marriage. Fathers and mothers who teach, train their children from the inside out. Children who desire to obey, respect, and honor their parents. I would desire to receive and live the total gospel, please. I long for Christ alone, enough to make me content in all circumstances, enough to consume my total life. I want so much of the gospel, I run from hate, lust, covetousness, to glorious dependency upon Christ. I want the complete surrender so that my lo- I love my enemies, cherish self-denial, Speak boldly for Christ as a pattern of life. I want to let Christ so consume me that I forgive quickly and seek forgiveness from my family, co-workers and fellow believers in Christ. I want repentance, not excitement. I long for transformation, not transcendence. I want to be an employee who works hard to the Lord, one who respects my boss and treats my co-workers with love. Joy, patience, and gentleness. I want to be an employer who makes it easy for my employees to work hard due to my interest in them and providing a good wage and benefits. I want to be a student who is known for deep respect for authority and one who applies himself or herself for God's glory. I desire to cherish the unlovely, those different from me, and spend time knowing those of different generations. I want to be an older saint who can say, follow me as I follow Christ. I want all of Christ so that I'm holy when there are family struggles and my children are not well behaved or my adult children are struggling. May I be content with when God doesn't fix me financially, relationally, or physically. 
May Christ alone redirect my ambitions and enlarge my giving of time, money, abilities to others. I would like the total gospel, all of Christ. Please. The Passover lamb gave their life. The ultimate Passover lamb, Christ, gave his life. And he desires for us to be surrendered and broken out for him. Let's sing together.